Hi, I'm Gordon Lamp here with The Real Finds Podcast, the podcast series where we interview key entrepreneurs, scientists, and activists, shaping the real estate industry and as a result, our world. Harry Davis is founder and CEO of Fortress, a revolutionary software company shaping the future of property management. In her role as president of Elmington's property management division, she was dissatisfied with current PropTech offerings and sought to make a better platform. On the podcast, we discuss scaling real estate businesses, effective property management, and the future of property technology. It's well worth a listen. Harry, thank you so much for hopping on the podcast today. Yeah, Gordon, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. So I wanted to start off by just asking you to introduce yourself to our audience. Uh, I think you have a very unique product and you kind of uh, have a unique way of coming at it. So uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, happy to. So um, I joined the Elmington family of companies about 10 and a half years ago. I came to them as a an accountant and an attorney. And uh, fast forward over these uh, 10 and a half years, and now I am um, the CEO and co-founder of a platform called Fortress. And the reason I started by explaining the fact that I, I joined Elmington those 10 and a half years ago is because that's really why I am exactly where I'm at today. Um, when I joined them, it was just the four partners. I was their first full-time employee, and we had just started to get into property management. And... Fast forward a couple of years and we find ourselves managing a 5,000 unit property management company and we were struggling with it. Um, my business partners asked me to step in and help figure out how we could or should scale that company and how we could create success. And that is really the catalyst for what eventually became Fortress, which is a, a property management software that I have built over the past few years with my team um, to really enhance Elmington property management's uh, property operations and to help them scale from about 5,000 units under management to the 32,000 units that they're at today. Um, so today I get the privilege of still being a partner in Elmington property management and um, helping that business every once in a while, but really I focus exclusively on um, running Fortress um, and helping to bring it to a larger market in property management. So I think we're going to come back to, uh, to Fortress, but I'm curious, uh, every lawyer I meet who leaves the law as their primary uh, venue, is it's always fascinating to me because I did the same thing, right? Uh, so what um, took you from being a lawyer to uh, working in the property management side and then the property technology side. That's a great story. Um, actually, it's an interesting story um, that starts with the fact that I uh, went to law school in at Case Western uh, in in Cleveland, Ohio, and I actually chose that school because of their international law program. Um, I actually wanted to join the military and did for a short period of time um, to be a JAG officer. So I spent uh, two years contracted in with the military, and unfortunately, I spent my second uh, summer of law school at training at Fort Knox, where I broke yeah. my feet. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> Not a fun experience, and um, everything you've heard about military medicine is really true. It's it, it wasn't the best experience. Um, ended up actually um, b receiving a release from my contract because of my my uh, the physical therapy that I had to go through. But interestingly, 
Um, my husband was working for a Department of State contractor in Iraq at the time, and they had an open position for someone to come in and manage their accounting, um, which is my undergrad experience. Um, so I thought, you know, I don't get to, I'm not going to be able to become a JAG officer, but this is a really awesome opportunity um, that I get to share with my husband and kind of travel a little bit and experience some of the world and um, hopefully be a helpful steward. And so I went and spent a year in Iraq with my husband. And then when we came back, we purchased a home in Nashville would not knowing anyone here. And um, I started to use my accounting background for a while. Um, but then I, I met the Elmington team. And in all honesty, um, I I thought they were a little crazy at first. There's four guys working in a really small office. They didn't really know exactly what they were going to do. But what I did know is that they were going to be successful. Um, and for me, that's what it's all about. It's like finding the right culture and the right people to work with. So interestingly, I've never practiced law at having my license, which I, I do, but I've I've never practiced law since having my license. And um, I, I don't think I ever will. Um, I've loved actually running businesses and, and leading teams in this way. So very lucky, but an interesting story. Yeah, that's that's a, a very interesting story. Um, uh, law school doesn't always uh, line up with accounting in Iraq. So um, that's, uh, <laughs> that's something different. Um, one of the interesting things you touched on was talking about the team that you originally joined up with was a lean hardworking team with a great culture. Um, and that's something that we typically talk about on this podcast is I think having a lean team with, you know, excellent culture, hard work is sometimes one of the fastest paths to real estate success and just general wealth. And so I'm curious, how did you identify the team and, and what was it like working for them? Everything you said is so true. Um, in fact, I will uh, sidebar a second. The times where we've struggled the most at any of the companies that I've that I've been with um, in Elmington's world is when we've had to scale. Right? I mean, like scaling. You think you know you know that you're going to lose a little bit of efficiency in scaling, but a lot of times it completely changes the structure and the process and the output. Um, and so those are the times, honestly, where we've really struggled. You would think that scaling and adding resources and team members would um, be additive but in, in almost all cases, but we've really struggled with it. Now, we've always been able to find our footing, but it's been hard. And I will say that um, from the beginning, finding the, the Elmington partners and realizing that they didn't know exactly what they were going to be doing. So they were investing in commercial real estate. They were um, investing in some multifamily and they were um, doing a few um, affordable rehabs and then looking at actually developing some affordable. And at the time they were actually in like waste management as well. And even thinking about um, medical device um, supply, which is a big in Nashville. And so I could tell they weren't sure what they were going to do. But the part that I loved is that they did everything together. So super collaborative, lots of conversations, so respectful and just like very, very driven to create success in a really entrepreneurial environment. So I couldn't agree with you more. Like the leaner the team, a lot of times, the more successful you can be more quickly. But of course, you know, if, if we're going to grow and take it to the next level, you have to learn how to scale that. And that's not an easy feat. So um, I just recently listened to uh, uh, a speech and, and attended a conference where the uh, 
the writer uh, of the book Range, uh, I believe New York Times um, uh, bestseller, about basically uh, the the fact that we live in a world where hyper-specialization, particularly within individuals on teams, isn't conducive towards meeting the demands of today. And it's fascinating to hear the story of um, the group you're working with, uh, with individuals who have such a wide range of kind of backgrounds and even ways that they were going to possibly perceive um, the future of the company. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious, um, in terms of that, I think that leads us into kind of um, what makes Fortress unique. I know that uh, whenever I look up Fortress, it seems to be based around the idea of a holistic property technology system. And can you talk a little bit about Fortress and, and what really makes like a holistic, broad range property tech uh, platform? Yeah, so um, I have not read that book, although now I'm very interested to do so. And I will start there for a second. Something that you said that I think is so, so smart and applicable to everything that we do, whether that's Fortress or our team members or, you know, what tasks we focus on. Um, you mentioned, you know, hyper focus in specialized areas to create success. And I talk about this all the time with my team identify someone's strengths and then leverage the heck out of them, right? So like I'm not focused on trying to fix any of my team members' weaknesses. That's not my focus. It is something that we work on if it's needed, but more so it's you focus on their strengths and you find what they're really good at and then you let them specialize and dive super deep into that. And that works out so well for my team. And then also I would say for Fortress. So I'd say Fortress is the same the, a very, very similar structure and path to who we are. Fortress is a core operating software. So yes, uh, we don't integrate with RealPage, Yardy, MRI. We replace them. Um, and that's, that is sometimes hard for people to even begin to process because those legacy systems are so massive and they've been around for so long. But the trick to our success is that we focused on what we knew we could do really, really well which is operations, operations front end, operations back end. So everything around your rent roll, your floor plans, your units, your buildings, your market rents, your residents, their documents, their ledgers, right? And it, it goes as far on one side to, you know, guest cards and ILS syndications, and then on the other side to managing work orders and final account statements and move outs. What we didn't do is create an accounting system. So yes, Fortress manages ledgers and subledgers and security deposits and, and transaction codes and a lot of things and payments and things tied to ledgers and forms of financials and really the source of truth for your income. But we didn't feel the need to re, you know, redo what's already been done in a really great way, which are massive accounting ERPs. And so tons of industries have been doing this for years where they're using an operating software for either expenses or income. And then all that money is flowing or all the, those transactions are flowing into one of the larger accounting ERPs to produce really robust financial statements and manage your bank reconciliations and your cash. And so that's really what we what we did. We said to ourselves, like, what do we know we can do and do really, really damn well? And let's like focus on that. And so we did operations. We did it really well. And we can integrate with the accounting system of your choice. Um, even if like QuickBooks is something that you are familiar with and you need a smaller accounting system rather than some of the, the larger ones like 
Sage Intact or Microsoft Dynamics. Um, and just creating this environment where we're specializing and being really good at what we're really good at. And then where we're not going to focus, the areas where we're not going to try to be the best of everything, we'll integrate. So integrate with um, credit criminal screening groups like TransUnion and the accounting groups that I already mentioned, and obviously syndicating to, I- to ILSs and working really closely with um, SEO-focused website builders or um, you know facilities management solutions or the really robust lead management platforms like Funnel. Like that's that's the 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 strategy that Fortress is employing. Like let's specialize, let's do what we do really, really, really well. Um, and so I think the the book that you brought up and what you mentioned earlier really applies to Fortress well. So what does it mean? I, I know you mentioned being really good at at, um, at at management. What what does that mean? Because I you know people talk about great management teams or we're a good management team. What what does that really di- dive into being? I think first and foremost, usability. So the ability to open Fortress up and use it for the first time, just like you pulled your iPhone out of the box and used it for the first time. It's taking that next step in property management, putting the BlackBerry down and picking up the iPhone. And for us, that includes things like centralization, um, automation, a lot of um, prompting in the system to tell people what they should be focused on and what they should be looking at next. Um, and giving users access to real-time BI and information about how their assets are performing. You talked about usability. Um, one of the biggest things that we bring up on the podcast with all sorts of prop tech folks, be it management software, be it marketing, is really what it comes down to is often the decision makers aren't me. They're not millennials who know how to code. They're people who are boomers or Xers who don't have that kind of tech background, how do you make uh, Fortress as into a platform that kind of works for people who are less tech savvy? Yeah, I think that is exactly where we started, which is <clears throat> when I, so I, I'm, I started my story by explaining that I was asked to step in and see how we could, you know, scale a, a struggling property management company. And my first step in that was identifying the fact that there was a piece of technology that could and should have been touching everyone who was involved in the success of the asset. And unfortunately, it wasn't because leadership, ownership, asset managers, they weren't in this software day to day. They didn't they didn't really have a reason to because it was so difficult and cumbersome to use. There wasn't any level of like real time BI in the platform. Um, and so I actually started there. I said, you know, if we want this tool to be insanely valuable for owners and asset managers, and insanely helpful in helping people identify areas of opportunity to generate more success for the asset, then we need this level of usability and transparency so that we're getting the owners and the asset managers into the software. And we really set about the initiative of creating overview screens that provide all of that data and then incredibly easy ways to drill down into the information so that you really can't understand what's happening and then drastically and immediately impact the success of the asset. 
And uh, I will say that um, it's been incredibly flattering because we have had so many referrals come from asset managers who are in Fortress regularly and using it. And if you if you create a system that's as easy to use as your iPhone, right? The, the thing that we all have sitting right next to us all the time and you and we all get a little uh, anxious if we can't find it. If you can create a system that is similar to that experience, then you will get asset managers ownership in the system. And if leadership is using the platform, then onsite teams and mid-level management are absolutely adopting the platform and putting the information into it. So look, you're an accountant originally by trade. I wanted to touch back on, uh, you talked about finding opportunities to improve uh, an asset and to improve the value of that asset. And um, what are the key things that uh, Fortress or, you know, just in general that uh, property managers should be looking for uh, either on the platform or, or just in general to improve value and to get additional returns on an asset? So my answer here um, is going to originally sound uh, pretty unpopular, but I, I I have That's fine. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm known for generating a little bit of conflict. Um, I, I, but I truly believe in it. We need to reduce payroll on site. And we can do that while paying the overachievers more. So, and hear me out on this. If you can figure out ways to centralize a lot of the day-to-day tasks that don't have to be done by someone sitting in an office on site. Things like collections and renewals and final account statement processing. If you can do those sorts of things in a centralized office, you can allow people to specialize, going back to what we were talking about earlier, use the skills and their strengths to be given an opportunity to become and be overachievers and to earn more pay and to be happier and more fulfilled. At the same time, reducing the expenses of your on-site payroll. You also can free up those funds to then hire someone at a higher level who's maybe um, globally overseeing, you know, three or four assets in more of a management type role, not like a regional manager kind of leadership role, but more of a, a, a management role. And you can pay that person really well. And that person can be so good at what they do. Um, I'm really a firm believer that net net, it adds value to the asset and extreme value to human beings, which is something I'm, I'm so passionate about. So um, I say reducing payroll and I say eliminating some positions and I am, I truly believe that and I'm really passionate about it, but I think that the end result benefits everyone, especially the people. Um, I actually tell my team all the time, I really firmly believe that the only way that you can reward your overachievers is by not burdening them with underachievers. Um, so a great book. Um, and the way the way that you can get there in property management is through specialization, which is something that we do not have today with the inherently decentralized teams. I know we're going to talk a little bit more maybe about decentralization later, but to get to that level of specialization, I think we have to touch back on something we've talked a lot about, which is scalability, right? Mm-hmm. So to, to get to that point where you have that central team, you have to get to scale. And I, and I know you said 
uh, on the podcast already that there are a lot of growing pains with scale. I'm curious, what do you think are the biggest growing pains that you've seen as companies or even your own company starts to scale up? Yeah. Um, oh, it's such a great question. And uh, most of the time for me, it goes back to culture. When you start to add a lot of people to a team, you start to scale in that way. It inherently changes the culture. I don't think um, for me, culture isn't, you know, swag or um, you know, pizza, pizza parties. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, how good your PTO benefits are or whatever. It's, it, that's not culture. Culture, I, I personally believe, is defined and created by the people you hire. So the people on your team create the culture of the company. And as you scale, that culture, change, it has to change. It's going to change. You're adding more people. They're going to be different. They're going to bring different experiences. Um, and I think juggling that culture change with also ensuring that you are still holding a really high standard for everyone that's there and taking the time and being intentful around making sure that those team members are coming in and are worthy of being a part of your team. Like it's okay to change the culture, but make sure that you're still holding them to a really high standard and that you are, again, rewarding your overachievers by not burdening them with underachievers. And I think that can be really hard as you scale and especially as you add new positions that you didn't have before, because determining what success looks like for that position can take a little bit of time. But it's for me, it's about being really intentional um, with that. Well, I know we're going to bring on uh, later this month uh, two recruiters to talk more about this, uh, both from the prop tech side and from the management and uh, uh, brokerage side. So I'm not going to burden you with more in-depth into HR because I think that's a, a very difficult and, and uh, challenging uh, part of the real estate game in general. Yeah. What I wanted to, to go, though, uh, uh, on something that I think you're really a specialist in, and, and that's uh, talking about property technology and holistic property technology. So one of the biggest things that folks are talking about in the industry is property tech, but there's a lot of misconceptions about property technology. So I wanted to uh, ask you, what do you think is the biggest misconception that uh, you know your standard agent or investor has about a property technology platform? Interesting question. Um, I think I would have to say probably some of the biggest misconceptions about uh, property management software would be that they are, I I think probably um, would be that they're easy to use in a way that allows in, investors, owners, um, analysts to have access to data, which obviously everyone needs data is uh, such a, a keyword right now. Um, without a, a lot of either money or time. And I think if we if we all really understood how much we don't have access to that data, that hopefully there would be a bigger push to figure out how to get it. And I think there's also this misconception that converting or changing property management software is 
you know, the end of the world. And it's, it's not, right. <laughs> it's, it's like, it, it does. It does seem like the apocalypse sometimes to uh, folks when you're, you're at a, an organization, but yeah. Yeah, it, it does. It does. But I mean, it's like everything else in life, right? Short-term pain for long-term gain. And I think, you know, thinking that, oh, I have all this data and I'm going to lose all this data if I convert. Well, I've got news for you. You don't have access to your data now unless you're paying a ton of money for it. And wouldn't it be nice to have real access to your data long-term that you don't have to pay for? Um, and so I think those are probably a, a couple of misconceptions. I'd say there's there's an additional misconception about technology that all of these awesome point solutions out there are going to solve all of your problems, right? So there are so many ancillary solutions out there, whether they are lead management, CRM, resident apps, um, you know, <clears throat> tour scheduling apps, um, <laughs> the list goes on and on. Oh, tons of different ancillary products. Um, and you think that because those ancillary products are so great at what they do, that they're going to help solve all your problems and create this better experience for everyone. The problem is um, in, inherently in having all those systems, you start to create a lot more problems. In fact, I was meeting with a, um, a company uh, just this week that is um, about north of 10,000 units, and they are utilizing four different point solutions that have different calendars in them. And those calendars won't sync, which means that their on-site teams have to log in to four calendars and manage four calendars every single day. And if we think, if they think, and they don't think this, but like, if anyone were to think that that's not going to cause a lot of problems and a lot of missed appointments and issues, like, obviously you would be wrong. So it's, um, I think that the thought that all these point solutions are going to magically solve our problems is a huge misconception in technology right now. Yeah, um, I, I couldn't agree more. There's often times where you create a tech stack and it quickly becomes the leaning tower of Pisa where uh, you have, be it a, a calendar issue or be it a, an API integration or uh, there's just some little uh, tidbits that are wrong. And next thing you know, you you miss that meeting with your biggest client and yeah. uh, you feel like a real, uh, a real jerk. So um, in, in terms of, uh, of, of going, I wanted to follow up with one additional thing that I know you mentioned, um, and that would be uh, decentralizing. Um, and I think we're, we're in a world where we're increasingly trying to decentralize some of the ways that we're addressing property solutions. Can you talk a little bit about how um, Fortress and, some of the groups you've worked with have kind of decentralized their uh, their management of their property holdings. Yeah. So actually I would say that today um, property management is inherently decentralized because we have these insular assets that are located uh, geographically apart from each other. And that's just a constraint, a physical constraint that we have. So these assets are inherently decentralized. And that creates a lot of problems when you're trying to staff a property with some with people who can sell, they can collect, they can renew, they can manage um, resident events, they can be 
um, really experienced in HR and fair housing and facilities management. I mean, the list goes on and on and on of the expectations that you have of this person who is sitting in that or the team that's in that office. The problem you run into is that from a budget constraint standpoint, each one of those assets only supports like one manager and maybe one person in the leasing office. So now you're asking them to be experts in all these different fields and not just asking, telling, right? Because if you violate fair housing, that's, that's, I mean, that's not a small thing. Some serious money. And you've done a, a, a real no bueno for uh, the world. So, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so they have to be experts in all these areas. And that's just not real life. So we have taken it to a another level of kind of removing as many of those random, you know, pockets of experience that have to be had by this person by removing as many of those as we can and putting those responsibilities on specialists in the corporate office. So we're moving from the decentralized environment to a centralized environment. And we're doing that in a few areas. Um, things like collections, um, SEO, so marketing management, um, looking into doing it for renewals, which I know that there are a couple of groups that are actually doing that really, really well right now. Um, a shout out to uh, Alex O'Brien and his uh, team at Cardinal who are really taking this to a whole nother level, well beyond what Elmington Property Management is doing. And I will actually say that, especially for third-party fee managers, you run into a bigger challenge here because they're used to having payroll on their sites. Now, when they're starting to pay you for payroll in your corporate office, in your centralized office, you're like, well, hold on a second. Like, how do I know that that's, that, that time that I'm paying for is really my time because they're not sitting on my site? And so you have to work through a lot of that with your clients and it has to be a true partnership in order to make it work. Um, but I think Again, the more you can take off of your on-site teams and the more you can stop expecting them to be, you know, insanely brilliant in so many different buckets, um, the more success you're going to have. I think that's uh, great advice. And um, the, on the only sad thing I have to say right now is we're getting to the end of the podcast. So we're moving into our final four. Um, <laughs> I, it, it's uh, it's always a sad time, but it's also a good time because we get four real, um, I think, interesting questions that we'll dive into not only who you are, Carrie, but a little bit more about the industry. So the first question of our final four, it's it's a favorite of mine as always, is where do you see commercial real estate going 10 years from now? Um, yeah, I love this question. Um, so 10 years from now, I'll start it by saying, again, the very unpopular thing, I don't think that we will have. I don't think that we'll have people on site. Um, in fact, I think we. I would love to see a world in which we are managing both leasing and maintenance. Anything that has to be done on site, like physically requires on site, um, to be done via DoorDash type experiences. So. You need a maintenance tech. You you have you do still have a team, or maybe you don't. Maybe they're all contractors, and you, they have an app, and they get dispatched on work orders. And you are paying a flat rate for that specific work order, and it's someone who is motivated to, you know, optimize their time because they're being paid by the job, um, not by the hour. And same with leasing, right? I mean, we have so many 
insanely fantastic real estate agents out there today who don't have enough to do. And that's, you know, because of interest rates, right? And that sucks for them. They would be amazing at leasing apartments. Amazing. And think about if they had an app where they could be dispatched to go lease apartments for us. And again, they are optimizing their time. They're not paid by the hour. It could be insanely beneficial on both sides. So uh, that for me is a, is a huge one. I also think that um, this also might not be popular, but I also think that uh, the ILSs are, unless they start to change what they're doing and how they're doing it, I don't see a future for them um, in the way that they exist today. I think websites and SEO are insanely more valuable in qualified lead gen and that putting your money into SEO is so much so much more valuable than putting it into an ILS. So. Yeah, I think, I think that's great advice. Um, one of the things we do on the podcast is we don't only look forward, but we also look back. So I'm curious, Carrie, what would you tell yourself coming out of high school? If you could have a minute or two. Oh goodness. Um, wow. <laughs> you know, this is probably going to share a lot about me personally. Um, I would say calm down. Like it's it's going to be okay. Um I I have always been an incredibly uh passionate driven uh and and honestly uh tend to be quite angsty and um I think I I actually the pandemic cured this for me when I took up meditation heavily. Um and it it changed who I am and I think taking a step back to breathe and take a minute and and take that pause and realize that whatever's happening right now that seems so big is not going to be nearly as big in the morning and you probably won't even remember it in two weeks. So calm down. <laughs> well, I think in uh, turbulent times, uh, taking a break or, uh, or as the, the French call it, uh, the pause, right? Um, yeah. is sometimes the, you know, the, the greatest thing that, that we can do with, uh, there's important times for us to think quickly, but there's certainly many times where we have to think slowly and just yeah. relax. Yeah. Uh, so one of the ways I like to relax is I like to sit down and read a book. And so um, in terms of relaxing uh, and reading a book or reading a book for pleasure, um, that's great, but sometimes it's good to get some knowledge too. So do you have a book that has influenced you and in your career that uh, you'd recommend for our uh, listeners? Yes. Um, again, an interesting one that I might get judged for when people actually go and read it or if people actually go and read it. Um, but the, the book that actually kind of started or that was with me at the very beginning of my meditation journey um, was a book called The Surrender Experiment. And it is, have, do you, have you heard of it? No, <laughs> but I'm interested. Yeah. So, okay, well, now you're going to read it and think that I am like crazy granola, but um, I, I'm not. I'm a little, a little bit, not not too far, but um, it is about a, a man's experience with life and essentially saying yes to every opportunity that came his way. And there's a lot of moments in this book where you're going to roll your eyes and you're going to be like, this is a little ridiculous. It is. It gets a little over the top, but the, the general thesis of it is saying yes to opportunities that come your way and not fighting against everything. Instead, like taking that breath, taking that pause and allowing things to just unfold 
can create incredible success when that's not even what you were trying to do. Um, and so anyway, it's a, it's a really unique, unique book about, um, about life, I think. And it, it, it's been impactful to me. So ultimately, um, that sounds like a great uh, book, but we're getting to our final major question in the final four. And it's the whole reason why we started the podcast in the first place was to come and find interesting and uh, individuals that are influencing the real estate world like yourself, Carrie. Um, if you could recommend somebody, who'd be the next person we should have on the podcast? Oh, you know, I think based on the conversation that we've had today, um, I would, I would have to recommend Alex O'Brien. Um, I think he is a, a fascinating person and, um, can really expand upon a lot of the conversation that we've had today. Look, um, thank you so much for hopping on the podcast today, but there's one final question before we leave and Carrie, how is the, uh, or what is the best way that folks can get in touch with you? Oh, well. Our website um, has all of our information on it, um, but I'm happy to connect directly via LinkedIn. Um, I monitor my, my LinkedIn messages quite a bit. So, um, and of course, um, our website is fortresstech.io. So thank you. Carrie, thank you so much for hopping on the podcast today. We have to have you on in the future. Yeah. Thank you so much, Gordon. It was a great time. I appreciate it. Thanks again to Carrie. We appreciate her insights. And if you enjoyed the podcast, please give us a like, a five-star rating, or a review. Your comments, interactions, and subscriptions truly matter and help us continue to provide quality guests. You can follow us on YouTube, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Gordon Lamp here with The Real Finds Podcast. Thank you for listening.